Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can subscribe to this show on all your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Tell your home device to play podcast Locked On NFL or any of the shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can follow Matt at Williamson NFL. L. We had some nice interactions with our Twitter Thursday yesterday and some good discussions. We're getting back into our division-by-division, team-by-team outlooks after free agency, the review of what these teams are doing right now in free agency. There are a few more moves kind of leaking through. We're going to get into the AFC North on today's program, but some news first. Before we get into specific players, did you find the commissioner, Roger Goodell's note to teams interesting, Matt? Let me read... The quote here before we get into it, this is a memo from the commish to the NFL teams. And Roger Goodell said, quote, all clubs should now be doing the necessary planning to conduct draft operations in a location outside of your facility with a limited number of people present and with sufficient technology resources to allow you to communicate internally with other clubs and with draft headquarters. He went on to say public discussions of Issues relating to draft serves no useful purpose and is grounds for disciplinary actions. So this is crazy. This is the NFL's owners who Roger Goodell represents telling teams and GMs, this is terrible for you. We know it, but we don't care because we're going on because we're the only show in town, right? Yeah, that's what I got out of it too. Um, A couple notes on this just from, you know, the year I spent in the building doing these things. I mean, some states right now, you're not allowed to go to work. I mean, so if you're one of the, so there is a little bit of a, a disadvantage and advantage going on team to team where these guys are in their war rooms, building their, their, uh, their draft boards and things. Some people, some t- states are allowed and some aren't from what I understand. Certainly an advantage if you're able to, if you're able to get those guys in there and being in those war rooms, they'd be up to, 20 guys in a room at a time, you know, making your safety list or whatever. I mean, that position group, all the area scouts that don't live in your, your city that the the franchise is at, then all the big dogs and the head coach, you know, I mean, and the coordinators, position coaches. So that's a big deal to me right now. And it's going to be hard to build boards in the traditional manner. And overall, you don't need a ton of people like th- that war room on draft day really probably should have a handful of people, two people, three people. But when you're working the phones for trades or certainly late in the draft, I talk about this a lot, you know, like I was on the phone with Josh Cribbs, you know, like I'm, I'm working the undrafted free agent market. Like, or if you're thinking about getting a guy, the top decision makers might be like, Matt, get in the war room right now. Tell me, let's talk about this player you wrote up. You know, like you need to be fluid. You need to have some some people on call to take care of business for you. Right. There's discussions that need to happen. You have a capologist that you need to talk with. You have a guy yeah. who knows the trade chart, what trades are worth, what you should accept, what you shouldn't accept. You have 
coaches and position coaches and scouts that you might need to have a conversation with. If there's a tie because the board falls a different way, you never know how the board is going to fall. Someone needs to be bringing people coffee, right? So there's a lot of people yeah, that right, need to be right. in Somebody's and out of eat. the room. You know, right. And if you spent time building a draft board at your facility, and now you're not even allowed to have people at your facility, but instead maybe you just have the same war room, but since it's not at work, you can go have it at a hotel conference room instead. It's, it's just an odd situation. It really is. I mean... Hopefully it gets a little clearer by then. And again, I hate talking about the politics of it all, but if Trump has the world working back at normal by draft time, maybe they're all able to assemble for that day or two or that weekend and get jobs, you know, get together and get things done in the semi-normal manner. I, I don't know, but I always go back to this and I hate to always bring up the Steelers because they certainly qualify, but the stable teams I really think are going to reap the benefits of this. I mean, teams trying to do new things, I think are going to make mistakes. Probably hurts teams that play deep into the playoffs that have less time and yeah. their coaching staff has been less involved with the process and don't have a chance to meet prospects. And, and really, they will have to just lean on tape. And yeah, who evaluates the tape the best? Teams are going to have to trust the tape. And that's mm -hmm. going to be... Who's got the connections in yeah. Bama and LSU and right. It could make for a very interesting draft. Some teams might say, we don't feel comfortable. We want to just get out of this draft and get future year picks. So this could be a, a very odd situation by how teams attack it, let alone how the draft is uh, you know, served to the fan base and how it's presented and how we'll see it and, and watch it play out on TV or the internet or however we, uh, we take this thing in. But as of now, it's going. But that last part that Goodell says... Public discussion of these issues serves no useful purpose and is grounds for <laughs> disciplinary action. So if a GM comes out and says, this is ridiculous, this is stupid that we're going on with this, they could be disciplined for it, which is kind of insane. That's very big brothery of the league to even put that. They should have not even left that sentence in, even if it was yeah, implied. It's kind of like me grounding my kids, and if they question it, then I'm going to ground them for a month longer. You know, like <laughs> Because I said it. so. <laughs> Some news around the league. Xavier Rhodes is signing a one-year contract with the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts making uh, probably as busy as any team in free agency so far with trades and with signings and Rhodes. They'll see if they can get the old Xavier Rhodes back and not the guy who's been banged up and had a rough couple of seasons with the Vikings. Was one of the best cornerbacks in the league. And it's crazy that I think it's one year, five million, but it's crazy that the Colts still have over $20 million of cap space. Yeah, and... Coincidentally, I was actually a guest on Locked On Colts yesterday, and we talked. This had this move hadn't happened yet, but Evan was bringing up, you know, hey, I'm a little worried about the corner position, and we thought maybe one of those second round picks they have, not having a first, might go to a corner to develop. But they're pretty young at that position, so I like taking the risk. I mean, he had a bad year, but there's a lot of these reclamation projects at corner that are worth it because it's such a valuable position that if he's 85, 90% of what he was a couple years ago, and he fits the system. They want long-armed, big corners, tacklers, physical guys. They, they don't want to be you know, necessarily super agile, turn-and-run, quick-hip guys. So maybe it works out. It's worth the risk. Absolutely. If they And I always thought that the best fit for Rhodes with his recent struggles would use that length, be a team that runs, you know, the cover three zone type, and he could play yeah. a Richard Sherman more role with his size, and he wouldn't have to travel, and, and he wouldn't have to, you know, pl play against the, the opponent's best player and use his quicks as much as he could use his smarts, his veteran savvy, his length, and his deep speed, because he still can run. He's still a big guy who can run and, and is long, which is going to be a valuable piece. So we'll see if 
the Colts can reclaim him. A couple of deals that are interesting that didn't happen that we thought were supposed to happen. That was Michael Brockers not going to the Ravens anymore. He's actually going to the Rams and Darquez Denard. I don't think we have a new home for him yet, but he is now not going to the Jaguars as we thought. Yeah, we'll talk about the ramifications to the Ravens in the next segment since we're doing AFC North. But good for the Rams. I mean, they they already had Donald, of course, and they brought in the um, the provision plan, I guess you'd call it. I mean, Ashawn Robinson was going to be the Brockers' replacement. Well, they said, hey, you know, if we'll take him back. We know the guy. We like him a lot. He can. He's he has some position versatility. Now we have a pretty decent three man rotation at defensive tackle. So good for the Rams. Um, I'm not sure exactly why Denard and the Jags didn't work out. Did they back out of the contract? Is it a um, a medical thing? I don't know. And folks, I, I just wanted to, the one thing I wanted to bring up about these things before we get into the Ravens are, this happens every year. I mean, I, I'm not sure that this is necessarily a Corona thing because everyone reads the headlines, Tom Brady and the Bucks agree in principle to a deal. That doesn't mean they always get done. I mean, every year in that, quote, tampering period or whatever they call it, all these things are agreed upon. But once in a while, a guy changes his mind. You know, I mean, like this, this kind of happens every year. The one or two of them don't quite fall through. And it's not official until the ink dries. You dropped a Tom Brady there. I was thinking, yeah. oh, well, what if that one all of a sudden changed? What if Tom Brady said, <laughs> right. oh, yeah, you know, never mind. I want to go to L.A. That would yeah, be, right. I'm that, out. That would be interesting. Anyway, okay, yeah, let's get to the Baltimore Ravens, and we'll cover each team in the NFC, or the AFC North. Starting with those Baltimore Ravens, no longer adding Michael Brockers on the defensive line, but they did add some size and length there to that defensive end position with Calais Campbell trading a fifth rounder to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it looks like they wrapped up a two-year, $27 million deal as well with Calais Campbell, with $20 million of that guaranteed. So a nice, a nice deal, I think, for Campbell. Good landing spot for him and getting a little bit of cash at his advanced age and still playing at a high level. They put the franchise tag on Matt Judon. They tendered center Matt Skura. They re-signed cornerback Jimmy Smith, so they're bringing the gang back together in the defensive backfield, and Jihad Ward agreed to return on a one-year contract, so not a major, not a, a lot of major flip-flops there. Uh, Anthony Levine also resigned, and I believe that is it. They did lose some pieces. Michael Pierce gone to Minnesota. Uh, Tony Jefferson was cut. Cornerback Brandon Carr moves on, and then they traded away Chris Wormley, defensive lineman, and they traded tight end Hayden Hurst. Yeah, and is Brockers a mass a great player? No, but I mean they were giving him twenty-one million guaranteed on a three-year, thirty million deal. So he was a big piece of what they were trying to do, and I very much believe they wanted to drift away from the Brandon Williams, Pierce, seven hundred combined pounds of massiveness in the middle of their defense, and get a three hundred and ten pounder in Brockers that could still do those things, but move a little more and give you a little more pass rush. And then they also traded Wormley to the Steelers, so maybe they wouldn't have done that if they knew, if they with known that Brockers wasn't going to be there. And the problem is now you don't really have a plan B. Maybe they would have signed Namakong Sue to that money. You know, like people are gone now, so you can't just you know just immediately say, well, we'll just go get this guy because they're not there anymore. I love the Calais Campbell move for the next two years. High character guy as well. I think it was a priority without question to let's generate some pass rush besides Judon without blitzing. 
And I think Campbell, and to a much lesser degree, Brockers would have brought that. Judon returns. Jimmy Smith, they get on the cheap. I think some people were probably worried about off-the-field stuff with him. The Ravens were familiar with him. Secondary looks really strong. Um, Baltimore's in really good shape. I do think we didn't mention the Yonda retirement. I think that's a big deal, and it'll be hard to replace. I think they need a receiver they can count on, and I'd have preferred it was a veteran, and I'm not sure that's going to come. And their linebackers, their true second-level guys, are pretty weak as well. But uh, I keep bringing it up. They have their late picks, but they have their first. They have two seconds, two thirds, two fourths. So there's wow. more to come for the Ravens. Yeah, I didn't realize. I knew they had two seconds. I didn't realize they had two thirds and two fourths as well. So they could move around if they want to be mobile in the draft. They're at 28, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. In 28, is that right? 26. Uh, probably third. I mean, 20. No, 28. Oh, they yeah. got eliminated pretty early. So no, yeah, they're 28. Yeah, 28 yeah. in the draft and uh, interior offensive line. You mentioned wide receiver. Can their second year guys be those veterans? Uh, I don't know. Marquise Brown's obviously, obviously got the speed. Miles Boykin, I think. I don't know if I trust him to be the number two guy right. there or even the number one guy if, if Marquise Brown's more of a number two. But. They're in their second year. You hope they take that next step. And then on the defensive line, they still... So they lost Pierce. They thought they had Brockers. They are going to lose him. They traded warmly. They still have Brandon Williams in the middle. They have Clias Campbell, who they picked up. And they still have Justin Ellis, who's a 330-pounder as well. He's a player I like, and he's a pretty good player. So he'll probably play at least base end or be the backup nose tackle to Brandon Williams or be on the field. But that's still a position now. Obviously, if they felt they had to spend the money on Brockers, that... That five-tech defensive end, defensive tackle type could be a player that they're still looking for in the draft. Yeah, and I think they, I mean, they'll probably get one, but this is a curveball. I mean, I'm sure they were counting on Brockers. Let's move on to those Cleveland Browns, shall we? All righty. Um, a move I like. Andrew Billings signed a, a one-year contract. $3.5 million fully guaranteed nose tackle type. They brought in Jack Conklin. They really needed offensive tackle. Still might need another offensive tackle on the left side, but they, they shore up the right side with Jack Conklin. Three-year, $42 million deal. They signed Austin Hooper, which was one of the more shocking additions because they have Njoku already. I didn't expect them to spend the money there, and Hooper... Uh, I just I just didn't see that connection at all with with Austin Hooper, and it happened so fast. Four years, forty two million dollars, twenty three guaranteed for Austin Hooper at tight end in Cleveland. Uh, they put the second round tender on Kareem Hunt, so he's going to stick around. B.J. Goodson, linebacker, signed a one year deal. Kevin Johnson, one year deal at cornerback. They acquired Andy Janovich, fullback, in a trade from Denver. Carl Joseph signed a one-year contract. Again, man, the, the one-year contracts, I feel like there's more than ever, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Case Keenum, three-year deal, and Andrew Sandejo, safety, one-year contract. And the losses so far for the Cleveland Browns, and they've definitely added more than they've lost so far. Uh, let's see where the losses go. Here we are. Yeah, Demarius Randall moves on. Linebacker Joe Schobert. He's still unsigned, but yeah, probably oh, won't be yeah, back. Maybe not back, uh, but it doesn't look like it with the way that things are going there. TJ Carey right, got right. cut and tackle Greg Robinson, which might might be addition by subtraction on the offensive <laughs> line. The big big car full of weed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, here's my take on the Browns. And I'll admit some of this is Steelers being big brother. It has nothing to do with me working for the Browns. But they're always at least lately, they're the champions of this time of year, and we don't see it translate to the field. So like a lot of my people in the Steeler 
media, like you see the Hooper and the Conklin deal and they chuckle and they say, boy, they overspent and they'll be cutting those guys in two years. The last 30 years has proven that to be true. And I mostly agree. There's some, certainly some overspending here, but the, the realist in me and the, if I take a step back, I think they got noticeably better. You know, I mean, Case Keenum, I don't think he's going to challenge Baker Mayfield, but he had his best years with Stefanski. He's going to help Mayfield learn the system. He's going to be an extension of the new coaching staff. Andy Janovich doesn't seem like much, but he's a good fullback. He's not, you know, your guy in, in San Fran, but he's the next tier of good fullbacks that can do more than just block, and they need that in this system. Conklin's a massive upgrade at right tackle, and they're going to run the ball a lot. He's a masher. I know the Hooper signing sounds crazy, and for the money it is, don't get me wrong. But the player, Stefanski live. I mean, I think they had fewer three wide receiver sets in Minnesota last year than any team in the league. So you're going to see Hooper and the Joku together a ton. This isn't a knock on the Joku with Landry and Beckham and Chubb mixed in some Kareem Hunt. I mean, like, that's a great fivesome of skilled dudes, and I like it a lot. I mean, they're transforming what they do on offense, and they went out and got pieces for the new coach. And even the defensive pickups. I mean, Joseph and Zendejo, fine. They can still draft the safety. You mentioned you like Billings. I did, too. And Kevin Johnson's kind of like that the conversation we had of, Former first-round corner, throw a dart, see if you can get something out of them. So on paper, and, and they are very much a on-paper type of team, yeah. they're really good. They got a lot better. Chemistry is what will seal yeah. that for right. the Browns. So we'll see how that turns out on the field. But on paper, again, it, it does look good. And, and they looked better than they turned out last year. Sometimes it's a year late for teams. So we'll see if this is the year for those Cleveland Browns who definitely improved Roster wise, so and maybe you throw offseason. a first round left tackle on that mix, you know, uh, opposite yeah. Conklin. Like, well, this offense is pretty complete. That's where I would be putting that number ten overall pick. By the way, I just did a mock draft, first round mock, a one round mock, Matt. I don't know if mock draft Monday. If you want to look Let's at my mock draft, you want to you want to run through my mock draft this Monday? Yeah, I'm okay. gonna tear it up. All right, we'll do that. I'll throw it out there, and you, Dikembe Mutombo, swat my picks away. <laughs> And wag your finger and tell me why they will not happen. So yeah, we'll we'll do my mock this Monday for the NFL. And for the rest of this program, we will finish up with the Cincinnati Bengals and Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's move on to those Bengals who lost Andrew Billings to the Cleveland Browns. I'll continue the losses first here for uh, Cincy. Darquez Denard, well, maybe they didn't lose him. He's still out there again, not signing with Jacksonville. They cut tackle Cordy Glenn. They cut guard John Miller. Nick linebacker Nick Vigil, uh, cornerback B.J. Webb, and tight end. They almost lost two players to the Jaguars. Tyler Eifert moving on to Jacksonville. So those are the losses so far for the Cincinnati Bengals. And as far as players they brought back or added to the roster, they put the franchise tag on A.J. Green, which is a smart move. And I actually kind of am okay with it for A.J. Green, even though I eventually do want to see him move on and get out of Cincinnati. But maybe this is a great situation for him with Joe Burrow. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander signs a one-year contract, $4 million, which... I like that deal, actually, for Cincy. Uh, DJ Reader, four years, $53 million on the defensive line, and then cornerback Trey Wayne signing a three-year contract for $42 million. This is another team I think is going in the right direction. I mean, I think the offense is 
pretty close to complete. I mean, you you got to remember their first round pick a year ago is going to be their left tackle. You know, they're going to get another rookie involved yeah. here. I still think the line could use a little work. Tight ends okay, but the receivers with Green are quite good. Mixon's a, a great player in my opinion. Put Burrow in a nice little landing nest. I'm fine with that. I mean. Uh, you mentioned what a beast AJ Green is on last sighting, and he's 100% true. I think you had to franchise him. If you're two and six at the trade deadline, maybe you shop him, whatever. But at least it makes Burroughs' transition better. And this is one of those sneaky offenses that I might pluck a couple fantasy dudes from. I mean, I think you could get some of these guys on the cheap. It might be pretty good. And for the AJ, defense, okay, go ahead. I just wanted one more note on the AJ Green thing. It maximizes his value for himself, too, I think, because he gets that big one year dollar figure and he doesn't have to go into the offseason with all the question around his injury if he can play a healthy season next year he gets a chance to see the new program with that coaching staff with Joe Burrow see if he wants to stay there or potentially get a much better deal next offseason if healthy and he's still that that dude that I think he still is yeah agreed um on defense I mentioned we liked Billings you know going to the Browns but Reader's certainly an upgrade and brings more dynamic play, more you know plays in the backfield, more pass rush. Their front is quietly pretty good. You know, I mean, they're Dunlap and Geno and those guys. They don't need D line help. Their linebackers are really bad. That's going to have to come via the draft. But now they're pretty set at corner. I think they overspent on Trey Waynes, but he'll be opposite William Jackson with Mackenzie Alexander in the slot. So the Bengals are trending in the right direction and a little more aggressive free agent moves than usual for them. Let's take a look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is a team that you know a lot about, and I think you're going to have some good insight here on what they're doing and where their mindset is going into the offseason and going into the draft. Uh, a big loss for me was Javon Hargrave. I know they have size up front, but he's just such a good player, and uh, you want to keep your good young players that you draft, and they stole him in, the was it third or late third or maybe fourth round they got Javon Hargrave? Yeah, it was a late third. Late third, yeah, fantastic pick there. Uh, moving on from cornerback, Artie Burns, not as good of a draft pick as Hargrave was for the Steelers. They cut Mark Barron. Uh, they're going to lose safety Sean Davis, and they cut who they cut another offensive lineman. Uh, Ramon Foster's gone. Oh, Ramon Foster. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. Ramon he Foster. retired, but he's that's a big loss. He was pretty washed up for them, to be honest with you. He was struggled last year. Oh, really? Okay. We'll see. That's the insight, Matt. Matt Williamson brings you because I thought that would have been a bigger loss. Uh, Stefan Wisniewski, though, coming in at guard, two year contract. They have signed a two-year deal with tight end Eric Ebron. Brought in warmly, we mentioned, from the trade. A lot of motion within the division here with movement and, and players going in and out of teams. Uh, they've put the franchise tag on edge rusher Bud Dupree and then signed a three-year contract with fullback Derek Watt. Where are the Steelers going with this, Matt? I mean, so much of it has been dependent going forward, but all reports are good. Um, they didn't have a lot of cap space as usual, but they were able to bring in a little bit more than I expected. I mean, the Ebron thing kind of shocked me. He's like, wow, okay. I didn't think they were going to be in the market for someone that's actually a brand name dude. And I think him and McDonald will basically be co-starters and very different style tight ends. Um, the offensive line, these are some no-name guys. I'm going to geek out a little bit, but Matt Filer, the starting right tackle, will probably become the left guard, and that should be an upgrade. Ramon Foster really struggled bad last year, and he, he's a, a very popular dude around here, but he he hung it up, right move. And then Wisniewski will be your swing interior guy. Chooks Okorafor, who they drafted a couple years ago, and Zach Banner will fight it out at right tackle. 
I quietly think that they have very high hopes for Chooks. So I expect the offensive line to be noticeably better. And Ben just being there will help the offensive line dramatically. That's pretty much the offense. I know there's some mixed feelings about franchising Bud, but he's very much an ascending player. He is very physically gifted. Even two years ago, the second half of the season, he played with a torn pack. So before that, he was playing really well. So if you're close to the team, you can see his progression. And last year, it was obvious. They really have a a hole at the third outside linebacker spot behind Bud and Watt. So if they were to let him go, it would have been a cavernous hole. So as a result, Hargrave is now an eagle. And I bet if you gave that front office truth serum, they're they're probably pissed that they didn't offer him a contract a year ago because he's the typical sealer, groom him, bring him along, and then extend him. You know, yeah. homegrown product. They're so good at that. But he only plays. I mean, when everyone's healthy, he only plays forty percent of the snaps or so. So you just can't invest in that guy. Bud Dupree got the that got tagged as an outside linebacker, not a defensive end, right? Yes, and okay. it's a couple million dollars in the Steelers' favor for right. that, I think. Yeah, so that makes that a little bit better. And the money that edge rushers are getting on the open market, I mean, that makes sense to just see what you got one more year with him, see mm-hmm. if you can draft and develop another guy behind him. Maybe next year you let him go or you find out if you can make a, a long-term investment in Bud Dupree. So it's not a terrible move, especially since it's outside linebacker dollars and not quite that that massive defensive end, whatever, 18 or $19 million number for a one-year franchise tag. So, yeah, and, and like you mentioned, it's it's all about the quarterback play for the Steelers, and they were 8-8 eight and eight with maybe some of the worst quarterback play in the NFL last oh. year. You get 90% of what Ben Roethlisberger was before he got hurt. Um, teams like the Steelers and the Buccaneers, I mean, look out because those teams were already competitive and pretty good, and... You give, you give them a massive grade at the most important position in sports, I mean, look out. Those teams are going to be scary. Yeah. I mean, those that last month of the year, six weeks of the year with Duck Hodges, like I don't think he's going to be an NFL player. I don't know if he'll ever throw an NFL pass again. Like it's hard to, to play a game where the opponent knows if we get the 13, we're going to win. And the Steelers' D was phenomenal last year, um, even without Tuit, who's a great player. But the quarterback play, even if – I've said this a million times. If Eli Manning were to quarterback the Steelers, they win two more games. Just knowing where to go with the football. Like, let alone being a guy like Roethlisberger that can make throws and make plays. And I don't expect Ben to be quite where he was, but just the ability to be a professional quarterback and know where the blitz is coming from and movement in the pocket and things like that. They had none of that when Hodges was in there. So since we have a minute – or so left here, Matt, just looking ahead at the draft for the Steelers. What are you looking at as the biggest need? Obviously, they don't have a first-round pick. They traded away for Minka Fitzpatrick. What is that biggest need for the Steelers? Are they going to be looking on the offensive side of the ball, offensive line, maybe running back, uh, depth, edge, interior defensive line? Which way do you think the Steelers go in the draft? Kevin Colbert does a tremendous job, and I always look at teams through this lens this time of year. I think he, as usual, has set the Steelers up that if they were playing on Sunday, they could play with this team and not have a gaping hole and be in real good shape in terms of some stopgap guys. It does that every year. So you don't go into the draft saying we have to do this or we're doomed because that's bad business. So they don't have a first-round pick, which makes things harder. I think the Ebron thing eliminates the tight end situation for now. They could go add best O lineman available, but I really think it's going to be 
some wide receiver that falls to them that they can't believe is there, you know, Mims or all the names we've brought up that, wow, we had a really high grade on him. Or more likely, I think it'll be, I think there's five really good running backs in this class. And I think two or three of them will be there at 49. James Connors, a free agent after this year. He's hurt a lot. He's hard to count on. And I think you go get Edwards Hilaire or Akers or one whoever falls that you like best and insert him in the lineup now and then takes over totally next year. What style of wide receiver would be ideal right now to go with Juju? Would you be looking at, say, like if Jalen Rager fell there, would that be the style that you think would benefit the Steelers the most? Or would it be just like, okay, this this guy's just good. Let's draft him. Their style is route runners, you know, like Juju, Deontay Johnson, A.B., Manny Sanders. You know, why do the Steelers have such success with second to fifth round wide receivers and developing them? Because there is a style they like, sharp, crisp route runners that translate quickly to the league. That being said, I actually asked my co-host yesterday, I said, who would you rather have, Michael Pittman or Hamler out of Penn State, who don't even look like they play the same sport, let alone the same position. (laughs) And I think they could go either, you know, add a big, big body that's go up and get it rebounder type or the speed Tyreek Hill style. I mean, I think they could go any direction because they're threesome. I think Deontay Johnson's going to be a star, by the way. They're threesome with Washington and Deion Kane mixed in there. They can kind of go whatever receivers available type of guy. Hearing you say that and hearing you talk, I'm thinking, okay, if they can wait a little bit and see who falls, names like Tyler Johnson or Brian Edwards might be names that make a lot Mm -hmm. of sense for the Steelers that I would like that fit and they could fit in with with that group that's currently there. Yeah, and one thing I always talk about on my show is I don't look at wideout as a massive need because I just said I love Deontay Johnson. I think Juju's a bounce-back guy. Like He'll be on my fantasy team next year. But somewhere in this draft – the receiver sitting on the board is just going to be too good to pass up. It might be a fourth rounder or something like that, and maybe that's those guys you mentioned. We will continue our division-by-division post-free agency outlooks next week, Monday. Mock Draft Monday will be my latest mock draft, how I see the first round unfolding. And, of course, we'll bring you all the latest news right here, Locked on NFL.